Well, there's been a lot going on in the past 24 hours, Friday night and Saturday with all the events going on with Bell Share. And uh, it's kind of been exciting what's been going around with uh, just the handing out of, of water. We, uh, we're being very, uh, very unassuming, very uh, gentle in our approach. And uh, again, around here, we have an idea that we, we want to... Our, a plan of evangelism is, is a blessing plan. It's, it's a, to bless people, and which means to uh, do something nice for somebody or to serve them. And, um, and blessing, so we decided we'd, we'd hand out water, something people want and need, and, and uh, if it leads to a conversation, and why, why did you do this, then fine. And, and um, it's just a way to, to share the love of Christ in a tangible way. And uh, so we have that and have the art, other place and kids booth over here and uh, we're doing some things and so we were handing out water and again 6,000 bottles of water and we, we were just handing them out and then we uh, it's funny how just a little thing like that uh, can when you're trying to bless somebody can bring an adverse response and uh, even though you're not even saying a word or even speaking the gospel that, that sometimes it can bring adverse effects but just want to let you know that you all did a great job and just that that you bless people so well that, that Belcher decided to make a rule that they didn't have in their rule books about handing out water. <clears throat> and so they made a rule saying that no information booths can hand out water, especially for free. And uh, so anyway, um, uh, we, we created a new rule for Belcher because of our efforts, and, and we bless people so well. And uh, so... Uh, it, was, it was a little frustrating uh, moment because, you know, there's, there's some other booths that were handing out water and they didn't get told no and, and uh, some other things like that. But it was, it was Pepsi. They were kind of frustrated with us because they said we were cutting into their business by giving away free and they, they were trying to make money. And so uh, we, we just, uh, once we got the official word, we just kind of, as you wish, and we said, okay. It wasn't without some conversation and why, and you know, this wasn't in our rules that you gave us or instructions that you gave us. And uh, so anyway, um, we started handing out water over by the prayer gallery, which is a location we rent on South Lexington, which is really right on the border of the uh, Belshire bound boundaries. So uh, we let them know that hey, we we have this location; it's our place. We rent, and so we're going to be there. We we plan to do this and. So this is our, you know, like, like we're a merchant downtown. You, you can't tell us to move. So we just want you to know that we're handing out water. We're not being disrespectful of what you told us. And uh, we have a couple of parking lots that we're also manning and raising donations for our church. And so we're going to be handing out water in those parking lots. They're not in your boundaries of Belshire. So it was an interesting moment. And uh, sometimes, you know, uh, you, you start thinking, you know, me, I, I start thinking little devious thoughts of, you know, a little Tom Sawyer wants to come out and me and find ways to get around things like that. But, but I, I try to be good, and, and I'm trying to think things of how do you bless those who don't really return the blessing, or how do you love those who really don't return that kind of same love. And um, you know, If we had lots of money, I would just love to say, well, you know, hey, you say we, we cost Pepsi money, or you cost some of those nonprofits who are running the things for Pepsi, their percentage, we, we cost them. And I said, well... Here, we'll just buy the water from you. We, we could go buy it at Walmart for, you know, 30, 30 bottles for three bucks, but we'll, we'll pay you a dollar for every bottle and give you your money. And 
you know, bless you that way. Um, and then we'll give it away. <laughs> but, uh, and, and sometimes it's a little frustrating too, you know, when, you know, again, I mentioned the guys with the bullhorns and, you know, because of course Friday night I was going through all the rules going, are we breaking any rules? You know, are, are we doing anything wrong? And no, I don't think so. And I see in there no bullhorns, no, no using PA systems. And I'm like, wow, what's up with that? And uh, so it's a little frustra- frustrating when there's contradictions and things like that. But I, when I hear uh, things like, and I mentioned the guys with the bullhorns, you know, again, I, I don't have anything against them. I, I don't want to stop them. I have some people ask me, what do you think of that, Shannon? And, and uh, there's a verse that comes to mind uh, every time I, I hear those guys and kind of what they say. And a lot of what they say is, you know, justice, right and wrong, and sin, and, and sin is punished, and here's what happens to sinners, and they, they go to hell. And, of course, a lot of that, what they're saying is true, but it's presented in a, a way where, where's the rest of the story? And uh, it's in Ezekiel 18 that it seems like there's just a little bit of pleasure in saying those words to people, and, and I just don't think the Lord takes pleasure in giving those kind of warnings. In fact, I read in Ezekiel, it says, Therefore, a house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and new spirit. Why will you die, O Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. See, God gives warning to us about sin, like those fellows are giving warning, but but he also gives the message of, I'm a God who saves. And the message of the gospel is that our God saves. And that uh, we need to tell the whole story. There's bad news, but there's also good news. Let's make sure we tell the good news. So today, in talking to you about about judgment, you know, I I want you to know that it is a difficult subject, but, but I want you to know that even in that, it shines light on God's grace and His mercy. And when I think of some of the crazy things that go on at Bell Share, I guess what my heart comes out of it and what I want to say to everyone is in the words of this song. It was written a while back and it goes like this. There's a wideness in God's mercy I cannot find in my own And He keeps His fire burning To melt this heart of stone Keeps me aching with the yearning Keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. Now I've seen no band of angels, but I've heard the soldiers' songs. Love hangs over them like a banner. Love within them leads them on to the battle on the journey. And it's never gonna stop ever widening their mercies and the fury of His love. And oh, the love of God. And oh, the love of God. The love of God. And that is what makes me want to sing out our God, His love is, is reckless, it's wild, it's furious. Man. And I want, just like I've been caught in it, I want others to be caught in it. And that's why we tell the message we tell. Now, talking about that day, 
there's a verse we've been kind of been an overarching theme for the, for the message series in the past five weeks, and I'd just like us to read this verse together, okay? Let's do that. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, for He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. We know who that man is. It's Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God. And uh, one day he will judge. Now, it doesn't seem like there's ever an end to kind of the dailiness of our lives. You know, I get up, I go to work, I learn, I go back to sleep, I get up and I work and I learn. And I, you know, and you guys go through the same thing. And it just seems like it kind of goes on and on and on. And for the past 6,000 years of recorded history, it seems as, as if things are just going to go on as they always have. But God has told us, and He doesn't want us to be ignorant of the fact that in the future there will be a set day, a set day when all the activities of mankind will stop, and He will call all people into account, and He's going to judge with justice at that point. And the Bible throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament calls this set time the day of the Lord. It's written uh, several times in the Old Testament. It's also written in the New Testament. Sometimes this is also called by Jesus as the last day. Again, kind of implying that things are going to come to a stop. It's not going to go on as business as usual. And Jesus described the last day as when those who are already dead will be bodily resurrected. And this resurrection, as I mentioned last week in talking about uh, hell, is a resurrection of not just those who believe. Jesus described this to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day, saying, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. And from all of Jesus' uh, parables, uh, his teaching stories, we know that there is a gathering of all people on the last day. And in this gathering, there, there's a, an assessment of everyone. And then there's a separation of all who are gathered and separated into the righteous and the unrighteous. Or if those are strange words to you, those who trust the Lord and those who do not trust the Lord. And uh, we see this in all the parables, the parable of the sheep and the goats, one on his left, on his right, and they're separated, different one to reward, one to punishment. There's the wheat and the tares. Tares are another word just for weeds. Uh, the wheat and the weeds are separated. Uh, the parable of the net with the edible fish and the unedible fish, and they're separated and sorted. Uh, the good servants and the wicked servants, the virgins who are prepared with their lamps and those who are not. So the scriptures uh, are also in agreement with this in these parables that Jesus taught and says that, that man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And so... I know that maybe uh, some of you have friends that maybe toy with the idea or think about uh, reincarnation. Uh, again, the Christian faith asserts that we will live and then we will die once and then have to face, face judgment. So it's not a repeating cycle. And uh, so from this, we also know that, that what God is saying is that, that time is linear. It's not cyclical like, other, like Buddhism or uh, other parts of Hinduism would, would talk about with uh, reincarnation. So uh, Christian faith presents a different view of time and also of life and death and what happens after death. So I know that for some folks, when you think about time and eternity, it's a bit confusing. 
And I think there is a question of what happens to a person if there is quite a bit of time between the moment of their death and this last day that's described by Jesus when the resurrection occurs. I mean, what happens to me if I die tomorrow and then it's another hundred years before this last day or this resurrection occurs? And I, I know some of us here really like details, but I'm not sure if that you're ever going to have all the details that you desire. You can search the Bible over and over and you may not get all that you want. I mean, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there, folks. But uh, first of all, I'd like to say that I'm not sure that time is really a factor when a person dies and steps into eternity. You step out of time and into eternity. Now, time goes on for us. We're still within it. But those who are out of it, I don't think it's much of a difference. So, uh, second, I do believe that there is enough in the Scriptures to say that if eternity doesn't erase all the gaps of time between death and judgment, then we can be assured that, that for those who have a full trust in Jesus, that they will be with Him after death. Jesus affirmed this kind of thought at the cross when He told the believing thief. He said, today you will be with Me in paradise. And that day, both Jesus died on the cross and that thief died on the cross. And uh, the Apostle Paul said to be away from the body was to be from the Lord, meaning that you died and your soul left your body and your soul was to be with the Lord. So being away from the body. But the other implication from this statement is uh, from the Apostle Paul is that being away from the body also indicates what uh, is described in other parts of Scripture that uh, the resurrection on the last day will be a bodily resurrection where body and soul will be united. Now I know that uh, that may be kind of a freaky thing to think about for some of us today because we're so conditioned by all the horror movies we've seen. I know some of you are really into that. I, I, I can't watch those things that freak me out too much. I have nightmares. But, uh, but it, it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be freaky and scary. Instead, the Bible describes it as marvelous, as amazing, as wonderful, and a beautiful thing. Because the body will somehow be changed. It's not going to be a rotting corpse. It's going to be changed. And the Apostle Paul described it this way, saying, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable and is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor and raised in glory. And, and we know about the dishonor. Some of us who have had someone we love died. And you, you see that body. You know it's just a shell. It's just a tent. That person isn't there. And, and, and later at a funeral, you, you just go, man, I don't care what the poets say. There is nothing beautiful about death. It's ugly. It's not good. That is not the person I knew any longer. Death has done something to them. And so it is dishonor in death. It's, 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 just, a, it's just a strange and horrible thing. You know, we, we, the burial process and all that. It's, it's horrible. But sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. Sown in weakness. It's raised in power. This, this resurrection of the body will be different. It's very difficult to talk about the judgment without mentioning death, uh, the return of Christ, resurrection in heaven. And I, I'm trying to stay on track here and stick with the judgment. But, but you will have to do some study on your own with your gel group about these things. Um, and, but I want you, I just want to assure anyone here that has full trust in Jesus that you have nothing to worry about in matters of death, resurrection, or heaven. Uh, because the Lord says that we will be with Him after death. All right? So, what happens on this last day 
that's described in the Bible. What, what happens when we face judgment? Well, the Bible indicates that everyone, including Christ followers, will stand before God's judgment seat. Uh, the Bible clearly states that over and over. And I know for some of us, it's like, drats. I was kind of hoping for Christ followers, you know, there'd be some sort of season pass holders line, and we just kind of avoid that and, and uh, kind of bypass that in some way. Uh, you know, man, I thought I would get around that judgment seat thing, you know, grace and all that. I thought that was the way it works. And it is a little confusing. And, I, you know, I was talking with Jason, our other pastor, the guy in tights you saw. Um, uh, and we were kind of talking about, and, and the only thing he's concerned about is a long line. <laughs> and, and he said, I, I think he's trying to look for some sort of Disney, you know, line hopper pass or something. You know, he's hoping to get around. But, but really, uh, what, what's that going to be like? Everyone gathered before the judgment seat of God. What will that be like? Revelation describes it this way and gives us a picture. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and that's Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books, plural, the seas gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he has done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into, into the lake of fire. That's a, a terrible, terrible thing. The book of life, or another place uh, where it's called the Lamb's book of life, is a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of like the guest list of heaven. Jesus indicated that having your name on this list was something to be very, very glad about. Something that you rejoice over more than anything. And though everyone is judged according to what they're done with these books that are described in this picture in Revelation, the Lamb's book of life, on the other hand, seems to be the record of grace, the recording of who has received the undeserved unearned gift of mercy and life through the blood of Christ. So there's two different things. One is this Lamb's Book of Life, grace, and then there's these record of books that's kind of the things, the good and the bad that have been done. Two different things. Uh, I want you to see that separate, okay? Now, this brings up an interesting thing. If this is the case for Christ followers, if, if we have to appear before the judgment seat, and there's this Lamb's Book of Life, and those who put their trust in Christ have their name in this Lamb's Book of Life, then, and it's already been settled in this record of grace that it's going to outweigh any of the, the bad things we've done or the good things we've done, then why bother? Why, why do we have this whole judgment seat? Why is, this, why is there this process? Why does everyone have to be gathered? Why does everyone have to be sorted? Why, what's the big deal? I really don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. But, but here, here's a thought. Here's a thought. I, I, I wonder if it has to do with God's sense of justice and mercy and how both will be displayed on this last day so that all will be, will be in awe of Him and marvel at Him. That this, at this time... At this judgment, there, there's going to be mercy shown. There's, there's also going to be justice shown. 
and it's going to be shown at the same time. It's going to be an amazing thing. And I think there's something about that that's going to be honoring to God, honoring to God. And I think that's why it's going to be done. And uh, there's something also about this last day that's about bringing things out into the open for all to see, the good and the bad, to show how God is just and right in all his judgments and that he's compassionate and forgiving in all the mercy he gives. Now, first of all, you need to remember that judgment has to do with justice and giving what is due a person, whether it's punishment or reward. I mean, that's, that's the definition, giving a person what is due. You look it up in Webster's Dictionary or Merriman's Dictionary, and that's what you'll find. Justice is giving what is due to somebody. Whether it's, and so justice has to do, what is, has to do with uh, about what is earned, about what is owed, what is required as fair and right. In the scriptures, it says that this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. And I'm sure that there's going to be some awful secrets revealed, and they'll be punished. But we also know that judgment isn't just about punishment, but it's also about reward. And there will be some wonderful secrets revealed on that day. And there will be many rewarded for those secrets. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had at three different points in references to giving, to prayer, and to fasting, done in secret, said, then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. There are certain things that no eye saw but God, and they were done for God, and God is going to bring those out into the open, and He's going to say, I'm pleased with that. I'm going to reward that. So let's see, there's going to be some good secrets that are going to be brought out on that day too. You see, on the day of the Lord, He's going to be rewarding the good that was done in His name. And by his omniscience, by his all-knowing, knowing everything that's going on, and by his omnipresence, being fully present everywhere all the time, he's able to know all circumstances and motives of every heart. And he's going to be able to judge right. He's, he's going to be the best judge that can ever be. You see, because being omniscient, he knows all things. He knows the heart of every man. Being all-present, there, see, in, in, in his court, there's going to be no circumstantial evidence. It's all going to be eyewitness evidence because he was the eye who was there, who to see it all because he is fully present everywhere. And because not only did he see it, but because he's omniscient and all-knowing, he also knows the motives. So not only did he see the actions done, but he knows the motives of the heart. So there'll be no confusion. There'll be no unjust judgments made on that day. God will be just. God will be just. And he is the best judge. You don't want any other. Really. You don't. But I want you to know, I'm not sure you want justice. Okay? I think we might want mercy. But let me, let me explain this a little more. Because I, I talked about reward. Again, that's a little confusing when we talk about reward and we talk about grace. How, how in the world does grace and reward work together for a Christ follower? I mean, grace is getting something good that you did nothing to earn. Grace is all, all about what you didn't deserve. While reward is about receiving something good for what you did. So how does that work together? And this Lamb's Book of Life and these, these books over here that record the good and the bad. Well, in the Scriptures, grace 
through Jesus Christ is described as our foundation which saves us. Nothing else saves us. No list of good deeds will save us. It's just Jesus Christ. Good that is done after that foundation is built on top of it. But it won't stand if there's no foundation. It'll fall and it'll crumble. And even some things that are built on the foundation of grace will be tested. And they won't stand either because they were done with false motives or done for people to see. Uh, let, Let me just read from the scriptures in 1 Corinthians how it describes this. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, with a capital D, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. And this fire is talking about God's judgment. How he will judge and see through it all. He won't be fooled by any, anything. And if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So that kind of explains it. One of the lines in Jesus' parables that is often quoted is this. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, that's a reward statement. That's not a grace statement. That's a, you did something good, and I'm going to give you praise for it. You know, that's the kind of judgment that will be, that, that's assessed. And it's not about that foundation. It's not about grace. It's not about a foundation in Jesus Christ. And it's not about the Lamb's book of life. This is the kind of judgment that's built on top of that foundation of Christ. And this is how judgment will be specific for Christ followers on the last day. Their their deeds will be looked at and judged. Some teachers of the Bible describe two judgments. One being the judgment of the wicked and the good at the great white throne, the Lamb's book of life, that whole sorting. Okay, your name's in the book of life, your name is not, and that separation. Some describe that as one moment, and and then some people describe another moment of judgment being just separately the judgment seat of Christ, with only the believers standing for the judgment seat of Christ being judged and rewarded, or their works being seen as not worthy, but they're saved. So some people describe that as two different things. I don't really give a hoot whether it's two different things or two different places at two different times. I, I, I don't really care. I just know, hey, the last day, uh, the day of the Lord is coming, and I want people to be ready. I want my heart to be ready. And there's one thing in bringing all this up that, that I want to distinguish that's going on here, that there's two things happening on the last day. It's reward and punishment. And the Lord has the right to do that. He is God. He can do all that He please. And I, I think we're pretty clear on the whole punishment part after speaking about hell last week. But I don't want anyone to be confused about this whole book of life and reward part. And although it seems like, that, that, it seems like good and, the good and bad we've done is known and it's recorded in these books that are described in Revelation, having your name in the Lamb's book of life has nothing to do with a list of good deeds. It has nothing to do with a list of good deeds. Having your name in the Lamb's book of life has to do with trust and belief and faith in Jesus and what He's done for you at the cross and what He's done to you and through you by His Word. Having a rightness that comes through faith in Christ is foundational. Having a list of good things you've done, showing how it outweighs the bad things you've done, 
is worthless. It's worthless and it's a bunch of rubbish if you don't have a foundation in Jesus Christ. Good works are on top of a foundation in Christ and they will not survive without the foundation of Christ itself. There once was an Indian chief in the Americas and his tribe was being plagued by stealing within it and it was happening among his own people. And he was really ashamed that, that this was going on among his own people and so he made an edict. He said, next time anyone is caught stealing in this tribe, they'll be, they'll be tied to a post standing up They'll have, with their arms wrapped around the post and their, their shirt stripped bare. We'll take our strongest warrior and they're going to take a whip and they're just going to crack it upon your back this many times. And that was the edict. And things kind of calmed down after that. People didn't mess around. And, uh, but it wasn't long after that that someone was caught stealing. And they were brought before the chief. And lo and behold, it was the chief's mother. She was caught stealing. And this put the chief in a real predicament. He didn't know what to do. Uh, it's his mother. He loves his mother. Gave birth to him. Raised him. Took care of him as a child when he was helpless. And yet, he made this law and she broke it. What's he supposed to do? If he punishes her, he'll be seen as unmerciful and cruel. As if he has no love. Who wouldn't love his mother? But then, if he lets her go, all the others in the tribe will say, well, that's not fair. He's showing partiality. He's not being a fair judge. That's unjust. He's kind, he's merciful, but he's not just. Well, the day came and, and he said, no, it stands. She's going to be punished. And so he watched as his mother was tied and had her arms wrapped around this post and her back stripped bare. One of the strongest warriors grabbed a whip and held it over his head and was ready to bring it down. The chief said, stop. And he went up, took off his shirt, wrapped himself around his mother in that pole, held on and said, now, deliver her punishment. And you see how the chief was just and merciful at the same time. Folks, that's what Jesus Christ did at the cross. That's what he did. You see, it should have been me up here. It should have been you up here taking the punishment for our sin, the judgment, the wrath, but instead, Jesus came and he wrapped himself around us. said, no, I'll take it. Deliver, deliver the punishment on me. And he shielded us from it. His blood washed us. And that judgment passed over us on the cross. You see, our God can be just and merciful he can be holy and loving at the same time. And He is a good God. He's a good God. A name written in the Lamb's Book of Life is based upon mercy and justice at the cross. It's based upon faith and Jesus in His words. Faith is trusting and acting upon that trust. Jesus described having a saving foundation in Him like a person building a house on a solid rock foundation. He described building your life upon anything else like building on sand. Like a list of good deeds is like building your life on sand. And he said that for both builders, those who practice his words and, and live according to them and trust them, 
that they're like those who build a house on the rock, those who don't listen. They're like those who build their house and life on on sand. And he said, for both of them, a storm is coming. A storm is coming. It's going to beat against both of them. Only one house is going to stand, though, the one on the rock. And folks, God's wrath and God's judgment, it is coming. It is like a storm. And there's one way to stand. Build your life upon Christ and nothing else. Build your life upon the cross and what he did for you there and nothing else. Follow him. The Bible says because of him, we can have confidence on the day of judgment. It doesn't have to be a frightening day for us, folks. Because on this day, on this last day of the Lord, he's going to be standing there. He's our judge. But you know what? He's also our savior. Our judge is our savior. You know, knowing this, you don't have to stand there and try to justify yourself with a list of good deeds. You can look at those record books and say, it's all true, all the bad stuff. Yep, I did it. And Jesus is going to stand there and say, you know what? Doesn't matter. I've forgiven that. I've washed it away. Your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. and, And Jesus said, that eternal life is based on knowing Him. Knowing Him. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He spoke those words. And you know what? If Jesus is your judge, but he's also your defender, who can stand against you? Who can bring any accusation against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? No one, folks. That's good news. That is a victorious message. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you live under condemnation, you don't have to live under it any longer in Christ. Our God is a God who saves. He really is.